Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the RSI podcast series. My name is Matt Vanini, and I'm the Strategic Development Officer for RSI. I'm sitting here with Brian McKay, our Operational uh, Training Specialist on our training squad. Brian, welcome to uh, our monthly podcast series. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a, it's a fun topic. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, speaking of the topic, um, this month we are doing the tipping revolution slash evolution. Um, this is a topic that does not seem to be going away, and uh, that's why we've titled it Revolution Slash Evolution, uh, because as the revolution began in, in uh, I think, uh, the shot was fired in New York with uh, Danny Meyer's restaurants uh, eliminating tipping. We've seen it now across the country uh, it rear its head in because of a variety of situations that we'll discuss today, um, and now it is it is definitely turned into an evolution, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. It's 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 we're hearing it on the training team. Everybody's trying to figure out what everybody else is doing. Now that's great. And so let me ask you a quick question: Why is this topic interesting to you? What what are you what are you finding that you like so much about the uh, the getting rid of tipping for restaurants? Yeah, this is the most fun part about it for me. This is playing around with different scenarios, seeing what effect it has on everybody. I, I love playing out the different. The different options and seeing what comes of it and what effect it has on all the different aspects of the restaurant. Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at it from a client perspective, what's happening right now is that clients are faced with the increased burdens of how how to create um, better pay. We're seeing $15 an hour just, you know, rip across the country. I mean, Seattle, you know, uh, California, um, New York's got a ballot. And, and you uh, you know, or measure on the ballot, I should say. And, you know, so they're, they, they know that the wages are going to get increased, right? And you can only increase the menu prices so much to offset the wages. So everybody right now is forced with looking at things in an evolutionary way, right? And the tipping versus non-tipping. And, and we see this especially with fast casual restaurants where they were somewhat established without tipping as a base form of gratuity, you know? I mean, if you wanted to add something, to a fast casual situation or, or an individual there you can, but the tip was already included. So I think that you know now the public perception, don't you think, is now, hey, we've, we're doing this some places and we're, and we're cool with it. Right. I mean, it, I think everybody's testing out the waters and, and trying to see what the public perception is going to be. It, it's really interesting to see. Yep. And then when we look at things, you know, not only are we seeing, I said earlier, that clients are facing different factors that affect their business that are really leading to how are we going to offset these increased costs. And, and a lot of it is labor-related. Um, as many as many people know, ACA hit hard last year. Um, and, they, and I think what hit really hard was the management of ACA. But, you know, there is the increased factor that we are, we are having to offer health care. Right now, having to offer healthcare by some restaurants, the large employers, is mandatory. But what that's done to the employers that don't have to offer healthcare is is now create created a competitive disadvantage. So you have to. So some restaurants are faced with having to offer benefits to individuals. Well, where does that money come from to offer those benefits, especially in the smaller restaurants? Secondly, is payroll compliance. Um, 
we are seeing an enormous amount of payroll compliance. Uh, you know, it started as far back as the rules surrounding um, auto gratuities, and we saw what happened with that. Sure. How many people are doing auto sure. gratuities now? Oh, nobody. Yeah. It's, it's 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 going away. Yeah, it went away. I yeah. think uh, go, uh, auto gratuities got filed with a Betamax. There you it's go. Gone. It's <laughs> well gone. Said. Well said. It's gone. A VCR even, right? <laughs> um, so. You know, so now we've got, as I said, we've got compliance issues. You've got competitive advantage issues um, that are HR really. We've got, I mentioned it before, the elimination of back of the house tip pooling by the Ninth Circuit Court, and always what has been there, and now it's right in the forefront, is how to offer competitive wages for independents. So it becomes competitive against competitive independent versus competitive corporate. Right. Sure. Right. But now it's also competitive, large independent versus neighborhood independent. So all of these ways, you know what I mean? Well, everybody wants to be able to recruit and, and, and offer motivation to hire the best people available. And, and you, you got to consider all this, uh, all this when you're making these kind of decisions. So let's take a step back. Right. The, 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 the tipping evolution. All right. Sure. We've seen we've seen now that we've got large corporate restaurants in our experience that have now started to eliminate tips. Right. Uh, they've eliminated tips, and the feedback that we're getting um, it, from the elimination of the tips is that the world didn't stop spinning on, on its <laughs> axis. Right. Right. Um, some of the guest perception items that have come across our plate are, you know, it's like being right-handed and then suddenly you have to be left-handed. It's it's uncomfortable, but you can still get the signature down on the guest check. Okay, yeah. You know, um, some of the other, the, the, the things that really forced us uh, to address this issue and take a look at it was, as most things, how do I manage it? Right. Right? So we have the, you know, now if I'm going to get rid of tipping... You know, how do I manage it in such a way that is going to be, you know, good for the guests, good for the team, and obviously good for profit? And right? what does that look like? And what does that look like? And that's and that's really what we want to talk about today is, you know, there's there's there was really two there was two strategies that bubbled to the surface, right? And 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 what are those strategies? Well, I mean, first off is just increasing increasing your menu prices. Right. So, you know, the process of just taking the menu price, I'm going to do away with tipping, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to increase my menu price, right? And, you know, and then the second strategy on that would be to add the, a surcharge. The surcharge, You right. got it. Yeah. So let's take a second to talk about menu price increase because this, to me, is the most obvious one that most people would just do. I need to get rid of tipping. I'm going to go ahead. I still need to make up for it, and boom, I'm going to add this to my menu price, right? So the first thing is... Well, let's actually speak globally. Why don't we like menu prices? I was about increasing? to say, yeah, get to the get to the end of the story. We do not like menu prices. And what are some of the reasons increases. why you don't like menu price increases? You know, it's I would say the sales exemptions. Uh, when 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 some of your things like taxes, like your rent for some restaurants, are tied into what the, your sales are, you're taking that hit as as in your profit. You're yeah. taking that hit as the restaurant. Very much so, you know. So what you're saying is that a lot of our clients have percentage-based leases, all right? Right. So what will happen is, let's say we, we increase our sales by 20% to cover the cost of the tipping, right? Well, now we got to go back to our landlords and we have to renegotiate or at least educate our landlords that what they're going to see on our, our gross sales isn't necessarily eligible for them to take it in the increased percentage rent. And good luck with that. Yeah, right. right? You better luck pushing a snowball up Mount Everest. 
um, for some places. The other thing that you mentioned too is with regards to taxes. You know, if you increase your menu prices by twenty percent, all twenty percent doesn't drop down and become eligible to, for dispersion to to the uh, to your uh, staff and team members, does it? Yeah, absolutely not. No. Like, for example, in, in Washington State, it's going to be 9.5%, right? So that'll go. That'll wind up going out to uh, uh, back to the state. So really, you're doing a solid for the state. Uh, that, that you know, Not 100% of that, obviously, goes to your, uh, your team members. Um, let's go ahead and let's talk about another thing where we've got uh, why we don't like many price increases. Yeah, I mean, how about the price value perception? Um, when you're thinking of a of a menu price increase, the the guest it's that shock value for the guest. You can't get away with it's it doesn't feel like a good value when you're when you increase the price of sandwiches by twenty percent and the guest sees that price on your menu. There's that sh- sticker. What am I trying to say? Sticker shock. Very much so. Right. Yep. And you know, and that's and I think you know, there's only a certain amount that we're going to pay for anything. Right, and I think asking the guest to understand that that is a fully burdened price, you know, when you're looking at something and you're saying, "Oh, okay, I need to take twenty percent out of that because that's going to go for tipping." Well, first of all, that means you're going to have to explain it on a menu, right? And, right. and I mean, you know, it's kind of like you know, I use the analogy um, when I rent from when I when I rent from Budget or Avis or any rental car company. You know, I always get the uh, it says I have twenty three dollars a day, but then whenever I add it up, when I turn in my car, it always worked out to be like thirty seven bucks a day because all the extra stuff. Right, right. Comcast is the other criminal in that <laughs> regard. I, by the way, I use criminal lightly. That's my disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> um, so we've got the price value perception. There's only so much people will pay, and to ask them to understand what goes into that fully burdened price probably isn't going to work. What about the? What about another? Well, the, it goes directly with the price value perception. But now you you lose your leverage with price elasticity. You can't. If commodity prices go up and down, as we know they do, you can't make those adjustments like you used to. That's right. So, for example, you know, when, you know we, we believe very strongly in menu engineering to preserve margin, right, contributed margin on an item. You're going to lose that ability altogether. You will not be able to take a 4% menu price increase every year or, you know, whatever that menu price increase. Worse over, you won't be able to put many price increases on items that have high contributed margin. And for anybody listening, this is probably the biggest reason why trying to do many price increases, if you're going to get rid of tips, is not going to work, all right? Because you will shoot yourself in the foot. Above anything else, you eliminate your ability to control your margin on key items. Make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Well. So we've talked about the three major reasons why we don't like menu price increases. Let's talk a little bit about surcharges. Now, before we get into surcharges, Brian, let's teach everybody what a surcharge is because it's not a commonly used practice for most restaurants. Right. I think the best example when I'm trying to describe to a client what a surcharge is, I think the best example I can come up with is auto gratuities. I think it's a great, you know, I think it's a great example. And while we were just joking about auto gratuities not being used anymore, it still is a surcharge. And a surcharge, when whenever you go out and you look at your guest check and you've got your total and then you've, you typically have your tip and then you'll see a surcharge on there or like an auto gratuity or what have you, then you see a tax amount 
that's that's added afterwards. One important facet to know about surcharges is it becomes taxable income to the restaurant. Now, so that means that the guest is going to pay the tax on right. the surcharge. So if you put a 15% surcharge on there, that means 15% is technically going to be flowed flowed down to the rest of the to the rest of the restaurant, sure. so to speak. All right. So, but you're still so very simply put, you're you're paying tax on it, but the guest is paying the tax. Right. Got it. So. All right, so now that we have a sense for what a surcharge is, right, now let's talk about major reasons why we like surcharges. What's one of the reasons that, that you like doing well, a surcharge? Well, now you have flexibility. Right. With, with a surcharge, you can you can charge a guest 15%, and, and maybe they were used to tipping in 18 or 20%. You can charge a guest a 15% surcharge. You're still keeping the guest in mind when you're figuring out what that surcharge should be because you know they're paying a little taxes on that but all of a sudden the guest sees this value um aspect when maybe they see a 15 percent surcharge they don't feel like they have to tip anymore and they weren't a 20 percent or maybe even a really good tipper 25 percent tipper something like that now they see a big value in there you're right, and I think it's important for everybody to understand that that flexibility is determined because it's determined by the, the consistency of the number. So, for example, you're charging 15% on all sales that are coming in versus right. the versus the variety that comes in per individual the way it does now. Some guests might tip 5%, some might do 10 some might be 25 So a good way to determine a surcharge for the restaurant then is to take a look at the total tips that you collected for the prior year, right? And look at what percentage those tips are. Some Visa MasterCard that you might have, some individuals that are making 23%, some that are making 18%. But to get you a general sense of, of what you, your surcharge should be, start with historical data. Right. right? So let's move on. We've talked about flexibility. What's another reason we like surcharges? Well, now you have transparency. Um, and I like, the, I, I like this the most about the surcharge because you're kind of educating, educating the guest with this surcharge. It's, it's up to you. So this is a, this is a revolution, right? Uh, it, it's not an easy change for anybody. People are used to doing things their way and they don't like changing. I think it, with the surcharge, you have an opportunity there to maybe describe the surcharge on a menu and tell the guest exactly what it's for and exactly how much it is. You, you have know, a lot of power there. No, it's a great point. And, you know, it's interesting. I was in Italy last year um, on my honeymoon, and my wife and I sat down, and just about every place that we went and ate, they had a per seat charge. Okay. Right? And that was their form of a surcharge. It identified exactly what it cost each one of us to be serviced by the individuals who manufactured the food, right? right. Who provided great ambiance and, you know, and great service. And, that's, and we paid upwards of, you know, 4 to 6 to $8 per seat charge. Right, we're at the places we were dining. Yeah. So once again, being able to provide transparency to the guest can never be wrong. People might not like something, but it, by educating them, at least they can understand it. Right. So I have to agree with you. The two biggest reasons why I think we like surcharges are flexibility, number one, and the ability to change that number over time to make sure that it's appropriate for your business, and two, transparency, so that the guest understands clearly where the number is. Now, some individuals might turn around and say, well, that's great, you took away tipping, but really what you did was you just put it down at the bottom of the guest check, right? Well, yes, we did do that, but I want to go back to what we said before. What led us here in the first place was compliancy in a lot of states, all right? It has become so difficult to manage 
payroll tips, um, the aggregation of tips, the distribution of tips, that really what's happening is that we need to find another way to do this and do it successfully. So I think that, that we've been able to take care of the guests by the, by the, through the education and the transparency. I think that being creative, we're going to talk about how to take care of the team. Right, because obviously we want to give them a competitive wage, and we want them to not go backwards in order to go forward. If you sure, will, sure, sure, sure. Right. So let's talk about surcharge strategies. Right. We've got three strategies that we've cooked up. Right. And Brian, let's talk about the strategies in detail. What's the first one? Yeah, first one is applying a surcharge, like we talked about, and then actually just increasing the wages, giving raises to the staff. Okay, so let's take a step back, right? So when we determine a surcharge, we've discussed the fact that our analysis to determine what the surcharge rate's going to be is in the fact that we look at, at we can look at the total tips and divide mm-hmm. those by the total hours. Now, that's great for a big number, right? right. Now, if we're going to increase the wages for different job codes, let's say servers or bartenders, all right, what would be the strategy for how to determine what the hourly wage rate should be? Well, you have to find out exactly what they were taking home. Um, now, how would you go about doing that? You'd pull up a work center details report. You would look at what the tips they made. You would add the tips and the wages together. And then it's it's not a hard formula. You just divide it into the hours they worked for each job code, not for the specific people. You're doing this on a global basis within your restaurant, right? Right, because if you now you could you could further break that down to specific people in order if you had individuals that were high contributors, that could be used as a carrot to increase their hourly wage based on performance. I think that's an important conversation to have. Yeah, yeah very much so. There has to be a way for people to understand that they can still earn, right, a little bit more for better performance, but it's going to require an increased level of tracking. Right. right. So taking a step back, in order to determine the hourly wage rate by job code, we have to use data. We have to take a look at what their hourly wages were, plus the tips that were earned, divided by the total number of hours by that job code, and that's going to get us the wage. Now, we know, as a standard, bartenders are going to be some of the highest, right, because you're going to have low hours, but you're going to have high tips, right? We sure. know per, per guest, high tips. So there is going to be somewhat of a normalization of those hours. Now. That might turn into a, a disadvantage because it might reduce some of the motivation by that job code. Right. Right. So, you know, the other thing about increasing wages that we don't like, what what does the increase in wages, how does that tie into our sales forecasting? What well, we- it's scary as hell. <laughs> you, 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 increase, you increase wages. You're locked into these wages. You have a... You have a heavy patio restaurant, and all of a sudden the the three month monsoon comes in, and your sales take a dip. There's there's no protection there. Yeah, if like from the ex- variance in sales. Great yeah. point. Like, and, and to your to your credit, for example, if somebody had done this in Houston right now, right, right, exactly. They they their their racing day would be seriously hurt. So so really quickly, what we need to understand about this is you're going to increase the wages all the way down the line to offset the surcharge. Okay, so you're going to disperse that surcharge in the in the form of increased wages. Well, if you have increased wages, and then suddenly the road in front of your restaurant gets tore up, right? You're eating some heavy wages because your sales have dipped, but your hourly wages are so significantly higher. So you've got a, a very narrow room to to really make a mistake. I think scary feeling. Yep. 
So you better be darn, darn sure that you understand your sales and, and you understand your competition if you're going to do uh, an increased wage surcharge. Let's move on to the second strategy. Our second strategy is percentage split distribution. Now, describe to us what percentage split distribution means. You know, yeah, it, it, the best way to describe it is it mimics a tip pool. We're still giving that surcharge out, but we're divvying it up, dividing it up into the different job codes, almost like a tip pool. A certain percentage goes to a certain job code. Now, uh, for those of you playing the home game and in the Ninth Circuit Court, it mimics a tip pool. Uh, yeah. It is Let me be not a tip that. pool. Well, um, in fact, uh, the, you know, I had a very good uh, friend of ours and client uh, reach out to me uh, and and in the state of Washington, and this is what they were suggesting as a strategy, was to take the surcharge and to look at the job codes, every job code that you had, and to add a certain percentage to each job code on a shift-by-shift basis that would go ahead and it would it would supplement the base wage. So if I was paying somebody 12 bucks an hour or 13 or subsequently 15 in Washington, that what this would do is it would act as a supplemental wage that would be added on to every shift, right? Now, let's talk about some of the disadvantages to doing it this way, right? Brian? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to describe to those back house team members who are used to hey, I make $15 an hour, I make $16 an hour. It's hard to describe, oh, I'll pay you this much, but I'm going to give you a certain percentage of this. This is what we think that percentage will be. The disclosure at hire is difficult, to say it, the least. It's difficult, if not impossible, because I because inevitably what somebody's going to do is they're going to say to an individual, oh, by the way, this works out to be about 4 bucks per shift, sure. right? Or 4 bucks per hour per shift. And then when that doesn't happen, They'll be the first people sitting in front of you telling you that didn't happen, and next thing you know, welcome to human resource management. Right, right. Right. The second thing, too, is it, it, it becomes impossible to schedule. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Absolutely impossible to schedule, and, 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 and because you're never going to know if you're scheduling by the dollar. It's you, you're going to have to just build in a slush number. This is akin to people who like to put an X factor in recipes just to make themselves feel good that they costed the recipes higher and their actual food costs came in lower. Right. You're going to literally have to schedule based on a worst case scenario. Sure. All right, and and that just it, it's just not accurate on any level. Um, it's also one thing I thought about is it's it's going to require laborious management. Because you're going to have to take your sales on a shift-by-shift basis. You're going to have to split up the percentages on a sheet by those individuals who worked. And then you're going to have to put that on payroll. Right. Right. I don't know about you. You're going to have a good spreadsheet, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a good spreadsheet and a bigger cup of coffee. There you go. Right? So there is that frustration as far as, as that goes. The, 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 the one piece that I kind of liked about this, though, is what did it do for some of the motivation, motivational factors for front of the house? Well, well, now your team is bought into your sales. They have an incentive to build your sales. Yeah, you're not stretching them too far out of a world that they've come from. Right. Right? There is still that, 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 that sales factor. You're still trying to sell more. You're still, because now if you're selling more, your, your, your surcharge is based on your sales. And you're bringing more to the uh, to the rest of the uh, the, the, the the folks. And I think up. those front of house team members, especially who who are used to being excited to work those busy shifts, you still have that. Yeah. No, I would I would concur with you. So I I, I think that on our takeaway for split distribution is not bad for the front of the house, right? Because it keeps them in an environment that they're used to. However, I think that the, both the the administrative 
component to it is pretty burdensome. Um, and back of the house perception, uh, not so good. Um, and it might not help you in a competitive advantage uh, situation. Yeah. So let's move on. Um, as many of you can imagine, right? We've got an increased wage method. We have a percentage split distribution method. And now for our third one, we have a hybrid of the two. Hybrid let's of the two. Let's take the best of both. Yep, yep. No surprises here. Let's take the best of both and try to cook up a plan. So let's just describe, Brian, the uh, the hybrid. Method. So a hybrid of the two is you can you still charge the surcharge. Yep. You you pay out that surcharge as a certain percentage each shop code if you want, or you give raises if you want. It's completely within your control. Maybe backhouse team members are traditionally used to getting those raises and, and having those uh, fixed hourly wages, and they don't really care about this uh, this uh, tip or surcharge distribution. Um, and the front of house loves that feeling of having some buy-in to the sales and getting a percentage of those sales. So maybe if it were my restaurant, I would do front of house, have them yep. have them get a percentage of that surcharge, and the back house team give them some raises and have a little bit of both. So let's let's break that down by job code because I totally I, I, I love where you're going and I love the hybrid method, right? So let's talk about back of the house. All right, one of the biggest issues that is facing everybody in a great economy is hiring, right? Sure. Um, if I had a nickel for how many times a client has called and asked me if I knew somebody who right. could either be a kitchen manager, executive chef, chef, or even a team member, um, I, oh my gosh, I have a ton of nickels. But here's my point. My point is that if, if I have a surcharge, it allows me to know from an available pool how much money I have, right? Having that money allows me to add that to an increased hourly wage that is above what the industry is offering for a specific area. This is a great way for those of you who have smaller restaurants that might not be prepared to offer health care yet to offer above average competitive wages for the back of the house. You can now turn around and you can now coach individuals that they might not have to work that second job, that you could be the primary driver if they are going to work that second job, so they're not trying to split every day at 2.30 or 2.45 when you need them to work all the way to 4 o'clock, right? The one consideration that I would make if I was doing something like this is that you might want to consider, right, not having the individuals do the close at the end of the night. Why is that, Ryan? Well, because you're, you're paying them that highly competitive wage, right? Yeah. That, that's not – you don't want their expertise if you're paying them this highly competitive wage to be – cleaning up at the end of the shift. They're there to cook. Yeah, and I think that that's important to know is you keep them, you know, they, you know, corporate restaurants, a lot of corporate groups um, will go ahead and use an outside cleaning service. And, you know, they use it for two reasons. Number one, they use it because it's, they charge a flat rate. So if I'm getting charged a flat rate, it's easier for me to budget as an expense versus a high-dollar hourly variable wage rate. Yeah. Number two, emotional. Right. There's something that, you know, it's late on a Thursday, late on a Friday, late on a Saturday. There's something that's cathartic about having your team focus on the, the, the efforts of producing great, high quality food and being very efficient about doing it and then getting them out of the restaurant. So food for thought, no pun intended, 
um, you know, that you might want that this issue might force getting an outside cleaning service. Right. Have the cooks do what you hired them to do. Right. And it, it, and also these increased wages for the back of the house are going to, you know, I would highly encourage you to make sure that you have a very effective training and education program for them because you should demand more with a higher hourly wage. Now, let's move to the front of the house. And we and, and, and like Brian said, we've already taken what we thought was the best of the split distribution, which really catered to the front of the house. They're used to variable hourly wage rates. This keeps them in that program. It keeps them motivated to earn more on a shift-by-shift basis. It also cuts down on that management for trying to, to manage that, that distribution, all right, because now we're not adding all the individuals in the back of the house to have to do that, correct? Sure. Yep. Um, it will, you know, to address the issue of scheduling, it also will allow you the capability to still schedule properly for the back of the house, which is going to be the heaviest cost center, and the front of the house. You can still use the high hourly wage that you are going to pay them, right, and not have to worry about the supplemental or surcharged income that's being added to it. Sure. So there's benefits there. Um, once again, I think it, it warrants mentioning the OT factor when when you're going <laughs> when you're going to eliminate tipping don't even say that one. yeah no kidding um, so if ot was not uh, if you had to manage your overtime before now it's just a four letter word right oh yeah if it, if it wasn't a four letter word before it it is now yeah, yeah. very much so because you got to remember gang that you're going to have higher hourly wage rates Right. And over time, whether it's calculated, um, if you're in a state that does it after eight hours or time and a half on a Sunday, um, it is going to become a very, very, very big issue for you quickly. So um, taking a step back, uh, as I said, gang, we have seen the tipping revolution is kicked off and now we're looking at the evolution. Um, I hope that we have provided you with two very succinct strategies, whether it be menu price increases or surcharges, um, two ways to consider looking if, at, at addressing the issue of getting rid of tips, and then within surcharges, which, Brian, if I understand correctly, we're in full support of. Full support. That, uh, that, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we <laughs> like the, the surcharge, and we've given you three strategies. Now, as a bonus, um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the accompanying WebEx that's, uh, or pardon me, webcast that's going to come with this, we've actually created a spreadsheet. Right. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about the spreadsheet that you created for everybody. Yeah, I mean, we went through the three different options, but what, with the beauty of the spreadsheet is you can play around. The, the, there's no black and white answer to what the perfect surcharge is going to be, what the perfect wage increases are going to be, what the perfect distribution to each. It, it's design. I mean, this, this, these kind of discussions scream for. A spreadsheet that you can play around with, you can fiddle with, and you can find out what works the best for you, for your restaurant, for your for your team, and for the guest. Yep. The triangle, right? And uh, having uh, seen the uh, the spreadsheet, uh, Brian, you did a heck of a job on it. Um, I know that the trainers and our current clients who have seen it are extremely excited about it. And for all of you listening, um, please uh, watch the webcast, uh, take a look at the spreadsheet, and then feel free to contact your operational trainers uh, when you have questions about uh, how to use it effectively for your business. Um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank everybody for their time today. Brian, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, uh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. It was a great, yeah, great project. You bet. And we're looking forward to hearing from everyone. And uh, once again, if you have a question about this or any of our other podcasts or webcasts that are on the uh, on the RSI uh, 
website, feel free to pick up the phone and call us. That's what we're here to do. We're here to educate and assist you in any way possible. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you taking the uh, the effort to listen, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you very much.